It's the Alexandra and Friends podcast, and we're covering the everyday issues of life, health, and wealth. And as always, we have a great panel of experts with us. Here is your host, Alexandra Fincher. Hey, everyone. This is Jose Gillian, the owner of All House Barbecue, located in Louisville and Carrollton. You can find us at allhousebbq.com, and we are the proud new sponsor of Alexandra and Friends. Come and see us. Good evening. Welcome to Alexandra and Friends 660 The Answer. Thank you so much for another Saturday night. With our company, we are. This show is brought to you by Roberto Perez Miller Title, and our podcasts are brought to you by Old House Barbecue, Mister Jose Guillen, and we're going to do our Pledge of Allegiance with the children of the Clark family. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Alexander and Friends. This evening we have, uh, we don't have Courtney this evening. She is uh, traveling with her children, basketball season. So we do have Mr. Billy Tatum. And happy birthday, Billy. Hello. Yes, the big 4 Oh, Finally my made gosh. It. 40 revolutions. Ooh, he looks like he's 21. Seems like a small feat now mm-hmm. to only revolve around the sun 40 times. Yes. Got a little more to go. Yeah. And we have a very wonderful guest who's coming back to visit with us because we want to hear all about her trip to Libya. What? And oh, I'm what sorry. Me? And we do have oh. our producer today, Michael Clark, yeah, is filling guy. in for Courtney. Boy, that's a hot seat. Good evening, Alexandra. <laughs> this is your announcer speaking. <laughs> He's just yeah. keeping the seat warm for for Courtney. You know? Yeah, yes. I'm here. Yes. Just Courtney. nestled in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I do have to correct you. It's Liberia. Liberia. Oh, I said. Did I say Libya? Yeah. Oh, Liberia. They all start with an L. Slightly different size, yes, population, yes. all these kinds of things. And this lady is a very good friend of yours, yes. right? She's amazing. Oh, Why don't yeah. you uh, introduce us to her? Because she's going to okay. be on our show all evening this evening. All right, Alexandra. This is Candy Summers. She is the executive director of Best Way, which is Building Everyone's Success Together in West Africa. It's an acronym. That's why it's spelled without the Y at the end. And you can go to bestwa.org and find out all about her organization. And yeah, I've known her for uh, going on four decades here. <laughs> Is that like 10 years each? What? Mm. Best wall. No, <laughs> no, like since 1984. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Was she even born then? Yes. Oh, she was born. Okay. She's older than me. I, oh. And I oh. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I'm giving her a compliment or digging yes. on you. I don't know. All of the above. Yeah. Well, we're going to have fun evening because she's going to tell us about her trip and all the wonderful things. And by gosh, I I was so excited when she, the first time she came because she brought so many, um, so much information yeah. that I would have never thought, you know, because unfortunately it's a world, a third world country. Yeah. But the products, the, the items, the children, they seem happy. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they are they, just the pictures. They're happy kids. They're, they're we happy with what they have. With what they have, yes. And the information that she brought last time is stuff that's usually out of our, you know, our circle, our out circle. of our realm yeah. of influence and and understanding. So it's great to have that expansion of your, your knowledge, uh, right? You know, she brought us to some of those plastic plates that they use there, which are amazing. I took yeah. one to Evelyn, uh, Liz's daughter, uh-huh. and she just loved it. And I think she took it to the school and just saying, "Wow." I said, this is what you eat with, that you, you use it for everything. Mm-hmm. And, but they make them there. Yeah. And that is so exciting because you think, oh, third world country, they don't know how to, they got, oh, God says, 
you find the way to do the things that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And you don't need very much. Yeah, no. They yeah. barely have electricity. Yeah. yeah. Electricity is sometimes. You got to go somewhere to get it. Mostly battery-powered things, right? And gas uh, engines. There's, uh, yeah, primarily um, gas generators, some solar, um, and then there is an electric grid, but it is very unreliable. In fact, when I flew in this time, um, there was a curfew of midnight because of a lack of electricity for things like light poles and um, on the way into the city. Like public lighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Which I thought was funny because... Um, there's never been good lighting on the way into the city when yeah. I've been there before. Well, so it really like, is third world. I why mean, are they putting a curfew up now? So their electric grid is operating kind of in the peak performance of the 1900s. This, yeah. You know, still figuring it out, still getting through the yes. the hard lessons you have to learn to get all your policies in place. It's crazy. Yeah. But that's led to other innovations for them. So they're still able right. to work and do things, right? Yes. Well, it's it's very interesting to see how creative people can be with what they have. Um, but it is a little bit like stepping back in time 150 years, because for most of the country, there's no electricity, no running water. Um, and so you th- see things like or cooking with um, coal fires is what they do. Um, they draw their water out of the well. They are washing everything by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like, um, transporting goods, they're doing that with wheelbarrows and things that are hand pulled a lot of the time on their heads. Wow. Um, but then things like ironing clothes, they actually use the cast iron irons that open up and you put hot coals inside to iron their clothes. Uh, wow. I've got to tell you something, a story. My grandparents come from Europe, my great grandmother. And we had what she yeah. would not use electricity. So when when I was growing up, she had one of those, you open them up, you put coal right. inside, or you put it on the stove and heat it up. Exactly. So I can understand. My grandparents were like, you know, oh. from the old, uh, old world. And yeah. now, this morning, I turn on my hand steamer, add mm-hmm. a little water, and just hit it on the hanger, and I don't have to, yeah, exactly. yeah, right back to work. Well, let's stop for a second, because Candy was here a few weeks ago, a mm-hmm. month or so ago, and told us a story of what she was going to be doing. She also had a big fundraiser, and then she was on her way to Liberia. So now, catch us up a little bit. So how was your fundraiser? It went really well. It was our first time back um, in person since the pandemic, and I was a little bit worried that we wouldn't have a good turnout, but we filled the room. Everyone had a really nice evening, and we raised about $65,000 for Best Way. Wow. So nice. it was a great success. Well, I know that some some of us deposited some money mm-hmm. there, so that is wonderful. So, um, so now you this, you've gone to Liberia again. You just right. came back. So, tell us what were you doing and why did you go and who is the person in ch- or, or who is the executor of this um, yeah organization? So, in Liberia, we have all Liberian staff. Our director in country is Daniel Mellish, and then our second in command, our assistant director, is Evelyn Carrier. And I actually went, um, I always go to check up and make sure everything's running the way that it should be to give some training and support to our staff there and to troubleshoot any problems that we're having. So last time I was there in November, I noticed that we needed a little bit more supervision of the children when they're on site because we're, we have three different sites and they deal with between 350 and 400 and children. 400 children every day 
to feed them and look out for if they're sick and just give them a a safe place to be. And um, so we have four cooks plus a supervisor. And so one of the things I did when I went this time was to add two more people to each site that are specifically there to keep an eye on the children, um, engage the children. Uh, If they see that a child is sick, They identify it more quickly. So more eyes means um, the children can get medical care faster. Or if they're suffering from abuse or something sad is happening at home, like one of their parents dies or something like that, um, we can also help identify them. So that is something that was a big goal of mine this time was to add more staff. And so I worked with my, my director and my assistant director to identify people that we knew in the community who we wanted to bring on board. And we actually added 11 new staff. So we had 28. um, And that was possible because people have been so generous in supporting us. So we want to absolutely always be improving the level of care that the children receive. So there are other organizations like yours that are in Liberia, right? Um, I similar that trying to do that kind of work. I have a little bit of experience with some of those. I don't know off the top of my, I don't know of anyone in the city where we work that's doing what we do. Right. So somewhere else in the country, there's people what that are, city are you trying to do I, that. We are in the city of Buchanan. I think it's Buchanan. the third largest city. So my, my point was, do you, do you know how large their contingencies are? How I big their organizations? I don't actually know. I'm sure um, the World Food Program is there and I'm sure World Vision is there somewhere, mm-hmm. but I don't have any personal contact with those organizations in country probably in the capital city most most of the ngos that work in liberia work out of monrovia and there's plenty of need there um west point slum is there i think over a million people living in a very small area but a lot of the people who work a lot of the organizations that work in liberia work in the capital city um but best way is the only organization that i know of that's doing what we do in buchanan wasn't trying to say that you weren't unique no i just don't have any i don't have any um i don't if there's anyone else doing it i don't know who it is isn't monrovia the made-up country that uh the princess in princess diaries i have no that's genovia oh genovia never mind don't test my princess diaries she would know yes i would she's got five kids i do gotta know the princess five children yes wow so tell us how you started just to go back and refresh everybody's mind is your father so how did you start this organization here and why did you do that so my father andy perkins actually started the organization he started going to liberia in 1998 primarily as um, with an organization that was doing pastoral training there. And then my dad was a businessman and he saw that there was great financial needs. So he wanted to do more work in um, microfinance and microloans and economic development. And so he started doing that in 2004. Best way was was born. And he quickly saw that the, the biggest need there was hungry children. Because um, they were trafficking themselves for food and being put to slave labor, all kinds of things. It was really, really rough. And so he started the feeding program in 2009 with 150 children. And we have grown to now we're feeding 1,257 children each day. Mm. 
But besides feeding, you also work with the community. Yes. You, and I see that you scholarships and right. education is very important. Exactly. Because you have to be have education to yes. be able to survive. I mean, there's no other it's way. True. Well, when you're addressing the roots of poverty, which we're trying trying to do, rather than just throw food at it or right. money at it. Right. You you have to at some point address the root causes. And a lack of education is very a very big problem in Liberia. Um, it has, I believe, the lowest elementary school participation rate in the world. Um, approximately 30 to 40 percent of children are in school. Oh. And I believe that that statistic might be a little on the high side. I think especially for the children that we work with, which are the poorest children, they, their access to education is really, really low. Maybe 23 percent is what I've seen. What, uh, let me ask you, what's the government like there? Um, it is a centralized government. They have a constitution that's very similar to the United States, but it is a central government where the president chooses all the leaders, all the way down to the tribal chiefs, the mayors of towns. All of that is chosen by the president. And, and it has been a corrupt system for a very long time. Uh, in 2019, I think um, the UN actually gave it the... Um, most corrupt government in the world badge, which is very devastating. It's very difficult to live in that environment where at every level, all the way down um, to the poorest people, you're experiencing corruption every where you have to pay bribes to get anything done. And if you don't have the money to pay a bribe, then you're just going to suffer. So it's, it's, or even for example, when aid comes in, um, it may be diverted away from the people who need it and to line the pockets of government officials. I want to know more about the aid when we come back on our next uh, segment, because I want to know how you distribute your money, how yes. everything is distributed from your organization. So mm-hmm. you're listening to Alexander and Friends 660. The answer to this show is brought to you by Roberto Perez, Miller Title. And our guest this evening is Candy Summers from Bestway, B-E-S-T-W-A dot org. It is an education and feeding program in Liberia, West Africa. So, Alexander. So, mainly your goal is to feed the children. Our our purpose is to keep children alive and families together. And feeding is a very big part of that. But the children in the feeding program also receive medical care and education. And education was one of the big um, focuses on my trip when I went in April. We have... Two young ladies who just graduated from high school. They've been in our feeding program since the beginning back in 2009, and they've come all the way through high school. And so I was there to scout a university for them. And so I took a trip up into the far north of the country, almost all the way to Guinea, to um, a, a college, Liberia International Christian College, LICC, to check out that college and see if it would be a good fit for our students. Because we do now have nine university scholarships um, active. We also do high school scholarships and elementary scholarships. And we also have a learning center at one of the feeding sites that doesn't have access to elementary school. So education is a very key part of what we do because we understand that without education, you are never going to break out of the yeah. cycle of poverty. They'll be stuck there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just went back recently. Yes. Right? What did you do this time? Um, so I went, I scouted the university, and then I actually took scholarship applications and met with each of our scholarship students going into college. 
to find out what they wanted to do, look at their grades, interview them. And then when I got back, our leadership here in the United States looked over those and we um, either asked for more information or approved those scholarships. So we have um, three new students who are starting, actually four new students starting this fall. And two of those students are young ladies who came all the way through the feeding program. One of them was actually an orphan. Her name is Nanu. And when she first came to us, she was really small and thin and very young. And she has turned into just a kind of a beacon. I just think of her as a beacon of light when I think about Liberia because she's got such a great attitude. She's very smart. She works really hard. So she just graduated in March and I came in April and I said, well, what are you doing with your free time since you just graduated from high school? And she said, oh, I'm I'm working at my friend's store. And I was like, oh, how much are you getting paid? Oh, I'm not getting paid. Hmm. I'm volunteering there. And I was like, really? Volunteerism is not not something that you do in Liberia. If you're going to work, you need to get paid for it. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I just don't want to be sitting around. So I was I continue to be impressed with her. She's she's not someone who's ever going to rest in Liberia. They say it. If you're if you're a if you're a crab in a bucket, all the other crabs are pulling you, trying to pull you down and keep you in the bucket. But don't let any of them drag you down. So she says, no, I'm going to be the crab that gets out. No other crabs are going to pull me down. (laughs) So a question where so that you have the scholarships. So. Mm -hmm. Where, how far do they have to go for the, to schools and the university and right. how do they get there and how, what's, who follows up with all this? Yes. So our scholarships to uh, students for university, there's actually a university right in Buchanan that we have been using called um, Grand Bossy University. We're in Grand Bossy County and our students have been at that university, but their nursing program has not been successful for several of our students. So our the students that are going up north to this other university is five hours away. Uh, And that's during the dry season when the roads are good, but it's five hours away and they're going to be living there on campus in the dorms and going to school there. And as far as following up, we have um, our assistant director is over the university scholarships. We're always checking in with our students and then they have to bring all their grade sheets, their documentation, and they get their budget approved every semester. So it's definitely close contact that we have with them. So best, so best way is the, the, actually is the sponsor and pays yes. for the school and yes. all the education. We pay for all of that. Yes. And by paying for that, are you are you hiring these people to do things for you over there that um, live there, or are you sending people from here over there? No. Um. What we all of our all of our students and all of our staff are Liberian. And they're going to Liberian schools because we really believe in building up the country, not taking the best and the brightest out of it. Um, so the education that they're getting, it, it really depends on the school. But we're really happy with this new university, especially they're starting a nursing program. And nurses are in great demand in Liberia because during the Ebola epidemic in 2014, 2015, mm. t- uh, 8 to 10% of the nurses died of Ebola. Wow. Wow. In the country. I remember that now. Yeah. Oh. And I imagine with more nurses, the the overall mortality rate of that Ebola epidemic probably would have been less. Yeah. Yes. The medical system was already in a very bad place Mm -hmm. when the Ebola epidemic hit. 
Um, And big shout out to Doctors Without Borders. They really did a great job. And Elwha Hospital and Samaritan's Purse all did a great job handling that epidemic, which I I'm surprised that only 11,000 people died. Wow. Whoa, only, only only 11,000. Yeah. Yes. What what how far is your reach into the medical part of your support out there? Um well, actually we uh last year brought in 7 million dollars worth of medical supplies and medicine. Best way did? Yes. Best way did. Wow. Oh. wow. We have a nurse and um, when you're talking about our university scholarships, we have a uh, two three three people working for us currently. I'm trying to think if there are more. Who were university scholars of ours and graduated and now work for us. So that is one perk of having those university scholarships is that when those people graduate, if we have a need in our organization, we can fill it. And one of the most bright success stories that we have is our nurse. We just hired um, Sam Judges. He, We've known him since he was in sixth grade. He was one of our high school scholars. And then he went into university, got a nursing degree. And was in great demand. He's an excellent nurse. He came to us in 2019 and said, I want to get my master's degree in epidemiology so I can help my people. And so some very kind people here in the U.S. sponsored him to go back to school. He got his master's degree in epidemiology in April of 2021. And we hired him immediately because he had already volunteered to manage our medical distribution. What university did he go to? He went to Cuttington University. And that is a university that's actually based out of the same city where um, LICC is up in the north of the country. Okay. So he he has a great education, but he's one of those people who has a deep care for people. He's an excellent nurse. So we hired him as our director of medical outreach. And one of the awesome things that Sam does, so there's four areas that we that we have in Best Way. Feeding, which is the feeding program, all the 1,200 children. Then we have our educational scholarships of, of pre-K all the way up through university. Then we have a pregnancy support network. And that is where we try to address the root causes of some of these children in our program who have lost their mothers. So if you can prevent mothers from dying, you can keep children. Children do better if they have a mom because no one cares for a child like a mother does. Nope. Trying to keep moms alive. And then the fourth area is um, emergency aid, which includes food and medical distribution. And so Sam, Nurse Sam, actually has an ear to the ground at the hospital locally. And when mothers come in in labor and they're in danger and need like an emergency C-section or a blood transfusion or malaria medicine, he has um, authorization to treat, to, to pay for their treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So he has, re- he has resources available to him that a lot of yes. other people there wouldn't. Right. Because, because of you guys. Yeah. So I get messages. In fact, right now I have a um, a message going on with him. We have a little six-year-old girl in our feeding program who wasn't feeling well. We take the children who are sick to the clinic and they actually diagnosed her with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so we're taking her to the hospital in the capital city where hopefully she can get treatment that will save her life. But Sam is the one who is connecting with 23 hospitals and clinics in our in our county and even some outside we have a hospital in the capital that we also support and he distributes the medicine that they specifically need from our stock and also medical supplies like gloves um that's awesome so for our listeners on the podcast and on the radio station uh can you tell us how to 
donate to Best Way so yes. that we can be part of this. Absolutely. You can go to our website, um, bestway, B-E-S-T-W-A dot O-R-G, and there should be a very clear slide that you can click on that says Give Now, or you can go to bestway.org forward slash give. And that will take you directly to the giving page. And there will be multiple ways to give. You can, uh, can you use the down? QR co- code. You can right. click on the link or you can set up uh, things like Amazon Smile. Can you break down real quick what the different levels of giving accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. So to sponsor a child is $31 a month. And that pays for their food, their medical care, their education. And, and then we also have education that goes beyond just school. We have um, sexual exploitation and abuse prevention training that all the children go through. Um, they also get deworming medicine twice a year that helps prevent those par- kill those parasites. So it's more than just, and now that we have more people working on the sites, they're also really engaging them with learning and games every day when they go, even if the children are not in school. Um, and then Our $50 giving level, that helps provide 10 clean birth kits for mothers in need. And um, those kits we take over, people put them together here in the U.S. and they contain everything you need to give birth. And and they need those because when you go to the hospital, they don't have the supplies there. You have have to bring your own supplies to have a child or to have your surgery or whatever when you're at the hospital. It's supposed to be free. It's a free hospital. But if you don't have a, a checklist of items, they won't even admit you in. Yeah. My goodness, how do you get the medications from the United States? Who 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 right. donates them, and, and do you have a, a hospital you work with? What are so? Tell me a little bit about yes the the the, doc, the medical side. Um, there is an organization um, in Oregon called Global Assistance, and they partner with the World Children's Fund and Metad. And they are the ones who have donated these shipments of medicine. And the way that they coordinate it is really amazing. They actually have people who donate the money to them and then donate the money for air transport. And they have buyers in China and India who buy the medicine at wholesale value, put the shipment together in Amsterdam, and then either air or sea ship it to Liberia. And then our people pick it up from there. And that sounds really like a long way to go for a little bit, but it actually brings the cost down. The cost is dramatically lower um, than it would be if you if you purchased it here and, and shipped it from here in the United States. So I have a question. You have five children. Mm-hmm. How do your children feel about you, your work with Best Way? I think um, my children, they kind of have a love-hate relationship with it sometimes. Um, they are used to it now because I've been doing this for a long time, but I wasn't the executive director and didn't start traveling to Africa until 2018. And that was because my youngest child is only eight years old now. So I waited until he was old enough for me to, to be gone for a couple of weeks. And the first few trips, my daughter, who's now 14, had a really hard time. She missed me a lot. And so, yeah, it is a sacrifice for my children. My husband also, he um, quit his full-time job and he's now a freelance electrician so that he could have the flexibility for me to do this. What an amazing family. This is what I call really giving from the heart. We're going to talk more about this because this is so amazing. So we're going to come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Alexandra and Friends 660. The answer to this show is brought to you by Roberto Perez, Miller Title, and our podcast. Go to alexandraandfriends.com and click on subscribe to our podcast sponsored by Mr. Joe Guillen from Old House Barbecue in Carrollton. 
And there's also an Old House Barbecue location in Louisville. And you can find him online at oldhousebbq.com. My name is Michael Clark. and the producer of the show. Alexandra and Billy are with me. Courtney is absent tonight, traveling for sports with her kids. And Candy Summers from Best Way is here. She has been on the show before. And if you want to go to our podcast and look up the archives, you can find her uh, a couple months back. I think it was March of 2022, in case you're listening to this far in the future. <laughs> so we were talking about Candy and their uh, their program, Feeding and Educating Children in Liberia, called Best Way, B-E-S-T-W-A dot org. And... Andy Perkins is her father. He was the one who started this organization, and he has a great long life history story. Uh, he was in the armed forces, and there's all these things that you could learn about him. <laughs> but recently, there was a twist to the story, and Candy has more on that. Yes. Candy, tell us all about this. Okay. Well, um, one of the hobbies Mike Clark and I share is uh, genealogy research. We love to do ancestry things. Okay. And uh, we used to be related far, far back through Miles Standish. Right. Yeah. We actually marriage. found out that we were cousins like way back. What, you know, 12, 12 cousins, something the, crazy. Really? Right. I have, I have friends that I found out that are closer, more closely related right. to me than that. But, but I've been doing that since about 2010 and built a really big uh, family tree for my dad's side of the family, the Perkins family. And um, I did that. My grandmother was orphaned when she was six years old and she didn't really know her family history. And so part of it was was finding her family history. And I, I connected with and met all kinds of family members. And I felt like I was kind of trying to piece this family back together because there had been a lot of trauma. Her mother committed suicide. Her dad was killed in a car accident a year afterwards. She and her sister were orphans in the foster care system back in the 1930s in New York mm-hmm. State. And her brother so, was so sent to an orphanage. Orphan it orphan was. Annie. It was a really rough upbringing, yet she was a wonderful, incredible mother, a really wonderful grandmother. And so that was kind of the driving force behind this was the love for my grandmother to find out more about her family history. So the logical next step for a lot of genealogists is to do a DNA test. So in 2017, I believe I did or 2016, I did my DNA test, which a lot of people think you do the DNA test and it tells you all about your family, but it really doesn't. It's raw data. It says, here's people you're related to, but you don't know if it's through your mother or your father or how or all that stuff. So it's raw data and I looked over it and there there wasn't any big surprises there except that one of these new family members I'd connected with, my dad's first cousin, Debbie, wasn't coming up on my DNA and I knew she had taken the test. So I was a little bit like, oh, that's weird. And I asked her about it and she was like, well, I don't know why. Okay. So then in 2017, my dad took the DNA test. And when your parent does it, then you can you can filter your results so that it shows mother's side and father's side. And I had all these people with the last name Robinson coming up in the DNA results. <clears throat> and I assume that was on my mom's side of the family because there's a family that, that ran parallel to hers that was Robinson, you know, a few generations back. But when I filtered those results, all of those Robinsons come, came up under my father. And I was like, that's weird because I had a tree that went back, thousands of people in it. 
and and 12 generations back and there were no Robinsons anywhere in that family tree. So that was the second like kind of red flag for me. But being a researcher and being very logical, um, I, I wasn't sure where it was going or what it meant. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. How do you do? What do you do for DNA? Do you swab? Your- you swab. Yeah. You basically um, you give them some of your spit. It's yeah. a super yeah. glamorous uh-huh. process. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> I've done it. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff for through it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting when um, I got my results back as far as my national, that was the thing that was unsurprising is the national origins that I got back were exactly what I was expecting. Um, Western European and British and some Irish. And and then there was a little Norwegian or Swedish in there. And I was like, that's interesting. But everyone always assumed you were Apache. (laughs) Actually, I am um, from the Eastern band of Cherokee Indians. So I also do have Native American ancestry, and that was confirmed by my, my DNA test. And I so thought that I was had nice. some. Nope, you had nothing. <laughs> at least it's not showing up in my DNA. That's on my mother's side of the family, and I knew that from my history, and so it was a nice confirmation there mm-hmm. also. So back to my dad. Um, you were still researching. One of the friends, or one of the friends I made was my grandmother's fourth cousin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Um, and he had an interesting story where he was the, a child of an affair and he didn't know about it until he did his DNA test in his thirties and figured out that his, who he thought his father was, wasn't really his father. Right. And then he had reconnected with the family of my grandmother, which was his biological family. And through that met me and he and his wife, Michelle are dear, dear friends of mine because a lot of the family was really not welcoming to him just because of the, the whole family secret and affair. But I mean, I didn't have any of that baggage. So really good friends. So I received a message that there was a man who started coming up in 2018 as a first cousin of my dad. And I did not recognize his name at all. And he got in touch with me and I was like, how are we related? So the the reason that the explaining that the reason that a first cousin would show up on your results is that ancestry.com and other websites like that. Once you give them your DNA information, they connect, they do the raw data analysis uh, with their computers. Right. And then it pops up other members of the, uh, It'll the comp- website right. who have done the test already. So they you have to do the ta- same, yeah. the test with the same so what company. what do you do? You send the, you send the you swap. Send you send your swap. To them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So one reason why I'm, I might not be seeing the people I expect in the DNA results is that they just haven't taken the test with right. Ancestry.com. So I assumed I had like 300 people coming up on my dad. My mom had far, far meant more. But I was like, probably none of the last names are coming up from this family tree because they just haven't taken the test. Sure. But then this man named Art Robinson came up as a first cousin with a large amount of shared DNA with my dad. And mm-hmm. I had no idea who he was. Wow. So we started talking and comparing notes like. Right. And nothing mm-hmm. was clicking. And so I actually had already seen those little other red flags and I started to really research the tree and look at who was coming up in my DNA results as cousins and second cousins and the possibility that my dad was not biologically related to his father came up and I was really concerned about that. Yeah, I imagine. Because my grandparents were not the kind of people that uh, they were people. I say they walked in the light. They, they were very transparent, very honest, very loving people. 
And yes, uh, my my grandfather was a Baptist preacher for 70 years. They were married almost. And they were just the kind of people who she would never have had an affair on my grandfather. Wow. And then the other possibility I thought is maybe they adopted my dad and didn't tell anyone. I'm like, there's no way. Right. And then there was always the possibility that there was some kind of violence, like maybe she was raped or something horrible. Mm. Oh, so yeah. it was just a lot of all really uncomfortable uh-huh. questions. And I didn't want to ask her about that because if something bad happened to her, I didn't want to bring it up. Right. But I, so, at the so same instead time, of going was, to you, them and asking the question at right. this point, you continued research. I continued to research. I got in touch with a fourth cousin on my grandmother's side that I had befriended and asked if she would do a DNA test to see if we were related to my grandmother. Because mm-hmm. I had pretty conclusively decided that we were not biologically related to my grandfather, which was already a really difficult thing because wow. I love my family and I'm very connected to them. So I, in December of 2018, no, December 2019, I sat down and had dinner with my grandmother's fourth cousin. And the first thing he said was, um, why are you not coming up in my ancestry DNA results? And at that moment I knew my dad was not related to either one of his parents. Wow. Wow. And that was like, okay, but what does that mean? Right. Because the answer Everything just went over your... Yeah. I was like, what does it even mean? So... I went ahead and I said, I'm not going to think about this right now, which is not like me. I'm a very curious, aggressively curious person. And I was just like, it's it's almost Christmas. I don't want to deal with this right now. So I just put it to the side. And so I I revisited it in January and I'd actually built a whole family tree for this cousin, Art, um, looking at his parents and looking at his grandparents and looking at my dad's grandparents and parents. And I have all these meticulous notes and I, I couldn't find a connection. And so with this piece of information, I was still like really afraid of what does it all mean? So in January, I, I was praying. I'm a, I'm a Christian and I've been praying about it a lot because this is scary. My grandmother and I were so close. Real quick question. January yes. 2020. 20. Yeah. 2020. 2020. So this is just recent. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So in January of 2020, I was praying and I felt like God was telling me to look at this one newspaper clipping I had in my archives that I had put in my archives 10 years ago now 12 years ago about my dad's birth. It was just the newspaper clipping from announcing his birth in the local newspaper back in 1949. So I was like, there's no way that's going to answer this question for me because I already know what's there. I know what it says. So I pulled it up and I looked at it and it had my dad, Andy Perkins born to Jim and Shirley Perkins at the Warsaw County hospital. And then right after that, it said Philip Keith born to Howard or Harold and Pauline Robinson. So it was that last name Robinson and all of a sudden everything snapped into place. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Oh, my dad juicy. was switched at birth. Yep. Wow. Which is a crazy thing. I had already toyed with that idea, but it's so incredibly rare, especially documented by DNA. There's only like six to 10 case, documented cases of being switched at birth. Right. That's so incredibly uh, it's, Donahue. It's not or, something that you would say, Oh, here's why this is like that. That was not, what I was expecting at right. all. Dateline, that doesn't happen to me. Right. Right. These, these shows no. that, wow. uh, you know, those TV shows are like news reports of, so we're hey, these continue. people were switched at birth. Right. Hey, there was two people switched at birth at this hospital. Oh my gosh, big travesty and all this stuff. And it right. makes national but, news, but, but it couldn't happen to but you. But this is the lifetime. Lifetime. Yeah. yeah. 70 years. 71 years. years. And, and and the other parents didn't even know themselves. Nobody so. knew. It's, Nobody knew. It's so, so we need to continue yes. this conversation. We got two more minutes. Two more minutes. Yeah. Okay. So 
continue. Yeah. Tell us. So what pieces. happened now? So what happened was I was I was so it felt like I was floating outside of my own body because it it changes everything you think about, everything you know about yourself and your family and your identity as a person. But at the same time, I instantly said he was right because my dad has always felt different mm-hmm. than his family. And he his personality is totally different. He looks totally different. But he's the she's the shortest. He's the shortest. He's got a full head of white hair and his brothers are both and his dad were both balding. His facial shape was different. He had blue eyes. Everyone else had brown skin eyes. tone. He was. Yeah. Really pink skin tone. Everyone else was really more of a sallow skin tone. So he all he when he was a child, he genuinely believed that he was adopted. But he had his birth. I have his birth certificate with his little footprints and his mom's thumbprint on it. And so even when I was thinking about this whole situation before I discovered he was switched, I was like, I know he wasn't adopted because I've got his birth certificate with his little feet. And I actually thought about looking for like, how can you identify footprints from the adult? So, yeah. What do you think? I like it. I have my (laughs) friend had a similar story at Ancestry.com, found out who his real dad was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. After 30 something years. I mean, oh, remember we talk about life. Health, wealth, and love. And we bring stories to you that probably you've never heard before. So we appreciate your listening to our show. And keep listening so our um, vendors know that we have a great show for you. My name is Michael Clark, and I am the producer. Alexandra Fincher and Billy Tatum are both here with me. And our guest this, this evening is Candy Summers. And she's telling us all about her dad and his well, not his discovery, but her discovery about her family through DNA. But Michael, right. we want to say her dad was the the one that started the best way. Yes, her because dad started they, best we're way. We're just yeah. starting to we're continuing the story of how everybody, the whole family, comes. Yeah, this is it. now part yeah, of the yes, story of part best of the way. story. Yes, and yes. Uh, I wanted to remind you to go to alexandraandfriends.com and to our Facebook, Alexandra and Friends six sixty. Subscribe to our podcast if you're not already listening on the podcast. Click subscribe when you get there and that would be a great benefit to us back to Candy's story. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So my dad had always felt really different. Um, his family was wonderful. We love them so much. They are incredible. We couldn't have asked for a better family. And in some ways that made this a little bit harder because I was very concerned that it not hurt my grandmother. Um, and the, the things that I discovered right away, like as soon as I had those names, I plugged them into the family charity had and I found all this information. I found out that my dad's biological parents had both passed away already. Um, and then I also found out that the boy that he was switched with passed away when he was six years old of cancer. Oh, so it was very sad. And also one of his biological brothers had also passed away. Already. So stop for a second. Mm-hmm. I want to ask here. So basically, the, your grandmother's child actually passed away. Yes. When he in was six years old. 1955. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yes, which was really sad. Um, and then looking at, actually, I didn't get in touch with that cousin. The cousin that I'd been working with, Art, we'd been passing all this information back and forth and talking for a while. And, and I had come to a place where even when I discovered what it was, I knew that my dad needed more time and space oh, yeah. to decide what he was going to do. And so I didn't get in touch with art right away and say, I figured it out because I, I wanted to reserve that space for my dad. 
So my, I told my sis, I have three sisters. I told my sisters and we all said the same thing. Oh my gosh, my dad knew. He always knew that right. he was different. He thought he was adopted when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always joked when he had pictures of his family. One of these things is not like the others. That was always the joke. So even his community of friends was really familiar with this whole concept that he's really different. Actually, it was three days from the time I figured it out until I actually told my dad because I didn't want to... I wanted to be incredibly careful about how I shared this information and who I shared it with. So I told my sisters and then one of my sisters came with me and we told him my dad and he stopped me partway through because it was just too much. Mm-hmm. But oh then again, God. he's just like me, like we want to know everything. So we yeah. stopped for like, he was like, you need to pause. And then he was like, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> so I printed out pictures of his, I basically presented it with the evidence. Like here's the family tree here. You're not matching with this cousin. You're not matching with this cousin. And you are matching with these people. And here's the newspaper clipping. And then I had pictures of his biological parents. Uh Wow. And they, he looks just like them. Just like them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I also figured out that he had, um, four siblings that were still living and, um, a lot of cousins. He has probably at least a a hundred first cousins. One of his aunts, had 13 children. His, his parents were both from families of seven, six and seven children. They all had all these families. So there's so much family. So I told my dad and then we decided to go. My, my grandfather who raised him was already passed away too. So the only one parent still living was my grandmother. Oh my! So God. we actually flew up to Idaho to visit her and told her. How did she take it? She was amazing, which I knew she would be. <laughs> I was really worried about her, but then she's the one who was orphaned when she was six. She grew up through all kinds of, of just really tough conditions. And she's just, she was a tough lady. She actually just passed away this in, in July of 2021. But mm. her child, but her child was the one that passed away. This other child. Exactly. So the first thing else. that she said well, was, well, isn't the Lord good? And then she continued to tell us all that weekend um, how much she loved us. And she said to my dad, um, if I had a choice, I would pick you and you're, I don't care what they say. You're still my son and things like that. So she had a really um, just very wonderful reaction that was it it didn't hurt her. She felt um, I think it helped some things make sense for her. So, Candy, I want to ask you a question. What about the other family? Yes. So where where have you been with that family? So I was looking at the family and at first my dad was like, I don't want anything to do with the family. I don't know anything about them. This It was it was too much. So we actually waited. That was in January, the end of January. And then finally, as he continued to make peace with it and figure out who he was and where we all fit, he finally came to me and said, it's OK for you to tell the other family. And at that point, I had... Um, I got in touch with the cousin and I said, Art, I, I solved the mystery. And one of the things that I wanted to know, the whole family wanted to know was we, they wanted to know about Phil, the baby that was switched with my dad. Mm-hmm. And of course, Phil this, was the child. Phil was the one who passed away. Yeah. And um, he was a darling child and he was so adored by the family. And in fact, many of the cousins have children that have have there's more than one Philip and there's more than one that has the middle name Philip. So that little boy was so loved by that family. And that was something that was really important to us to know that just like my dad was loved by his family, the child that was switched was loved by that other family. Mm -hmm. So 
I thought there might be some situations where some of the family members might not want to know us or they might not be very nice people or they, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I was like, we're going into this with open hearts, but we understand like we're not in this. We don't want anything from you other than to get to know you, but also to let them know that they, they were putting cancer, pediatric cancer on their health history. So all of his siblings' children, they were worried yeah, about that. That's them. not a genetic wow. thing anymore. So and I was like, genetic. that's not your genetic history. Yeah. So that was important to me that they know that. Um, so in March, um, the, the first person I talked to was Art, the cousin, and he said, I'm going to text your aunt right now, my Aunt Sally. And I said, okay. So he sent me a text that she's really excited. And I sent, so I said, let me have her number. I texted her. I said, hey, it's it's your surprise niece, Candy. And she texted me back. She texted me, yay. And I was like, that sounds just like something I would do. Because I'm always <laughs> like, yay to everything. So I actually called her. Uh-huh. And we talked for over an hour. And it was so amazing because it felt like being home. Um, It was so natural. It was so comfortable. It was so easy. these other families, really your family, they're our family biologically. And but it's it, so and this powerful. Other family is. Yeah, we is, have. So we have two amazing families and we love them both so much. But the, the Robinson family almost completely has totally embraced us and been so warm and welcoming. There hasn't been a single encounter with them that has not been yeah. amazing. Good. Yes. So you could totally- it was kind of a best case scenario. In every you way. could totally rewrite that movie, Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let me. So we go back to where. Where was this? Yeah. Where were they born? Where they were born at Warsaw Community Hospital in Warsaw, New York, in 1949. And actually, one of the craziest things of about it was that my dad has been going through his whole life with the birth date of September 13th. Mm-hmm. But the reality was he was born on September 12th, mm. around wow. seven at night. Phil was born on September 13th, about seven in the morning. And these moms were both in the hospital for a whole week. That's what they did back then. And at some point, those babies got switched. So have you gone back to the hospital? We are in the process of that. We haven't. um, We're kind of working our way through it. Um, And I have been in contact with attorneys and things like that. Absolutely. And there's nothing else is because you don't know how many other children. Well, the other thing is I... Just my own curiosity is how did this happen and, right. and why did this happen? Um, just, just think at two, what point two people lived different lives. It was totally. And, uh, yeah. And your grandmother and your grandfather and grandmother, they that was their baby. That, yeah. And they never knew who he was. Right. And this yeah. other grandparents here. Exactly. You know, it's 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 good that it was a good family. Could have been worse. Exactly. Right? Yes. But just think. Uh, I mean, just my tear. Uh, my heart is. Uh, That's just... the first thing I thought too. Was I was up almost all night just pacing once I figured this out and just thinking about those babies and how scared they were, because you're in your mother's womb and you hear your parents' voices and then all of a sudden you're with a total stranger and they take you home with them. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is they went to good homes. Exactly. Just what would have happened if they had not yes but i think the hospital needs to know because it might be 70 how long ago was this 70 yeah 1949 72 years, 72 years, years. and yeah. how is your father taking it now um he it, it's wonderful he has a really close relationship with his siblings he actually just got back from spending a couple of weeks visiting one of his brothers and one of his sisters um his, we his, his biological, biological. Yes. and we got to meet um we got to meet them it was, we've all been able to connect with the family 
it's been really amazing. They're with, wonderful people. With his real family. With his, yeah, his biological. So we call them his surprise family or his bio, biological what? family. And then That's we. That's great, isn't it? Yes. So I'll call um, his, we don't say not his real family because it right. is his real it family. Is his, it sure. is his family. Real. And that's what's so funny because like, who are his real parents? I'm like, well, well, what do you mean by real parents? He's got mm-hmm. two sets of parents. He does. Well, yeah. what an evening. This is yeah. from Best Way, from taking care of children over here to become to learning that that was not his parents he was mm-hmm. raised with 70 years 70. well the entire program has been about children hasn't it hasn't it well, the, wow. the other thing that's really been interesting for him it gives him even more of a heart for children who lose their parents right because we're really sad that we never got to meet those biological parents but also an understanding that when you're separated from your mother that it affects you even if it happens right when you're born he always had some he knew something was missing because, um, like I say, you're bonded to your parents from before you're even born. Mm-hmm. So he, it's given him even more of a heart for the children that we work with in, in Africa because he, he recognizes how um, important your parents are to, to who you grow up to be. So right. think about interesting. Here mm-hmm. is a man that didn't even know he was in a different family, but he took his heart and has given it to other children. Yes. It's a, it's a very uh, God story right there. Yeah. So, this has been, you've made me cry already Aww. a couple of times. <laughs> so me too. I just want to let you know my yeah. heart, unbelievable. So I've heard the story several times. I still tear up when she gets to a certain oh point. Oh my God, yes. yes. Well, tell us how that we can, how anybody can get hold of you through, again before yes. we end the day for the best way yeah. and how we yeah. can support you. You can oh. go to our website, um, bestwa.org. If you want to give, you can go to that address forward forward slash give add it onto the best way.org. And that link will be on our Facebook mm-hmm. as well as the podcast description. If you're looking for that. Yes. We thank you so much for coming back and uh, gosh, I can't, uh, this has been an exciting exci- story, you. but it ended well. Yes. And that's the most important. So we're looking forward to your book. Yes. What's it called? The Robinson? Possibly. That's a good working title. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Billy, thank you for yes, being ma'am. here this evening. I know that you have been listening very thoroughly. <laughs> you know, I mean, you haven't even been working on your computer. Hmm. No. Well, Billy does great work. And I, I wasn't even there when he was there, but uh, he, he came to my house and he crawled underneath and he gave us an estimate for wow. repairs to our foundation. He works for a Structured Foundation, If for listeners who don't know that. Well, thank you, Mike. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I met Billy yeah. many years ago. Yeah. About 15 years ago was I called him. <laughs> I called 15. him for... It was about 15. It was about well, my, I want to tell you that my <laughs> wife had a, it was a positive experience for her yes. and she had great things to say about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me the house did not need any work. It, well, was, it was the plumbing. Her, the first time the first she time, met yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the first time. And I said, well, thank you guys. You are. Sorry you're I didn't amazing. participate as much today. That's okay. You were listening to an amazing story. I did. An, a, a heart story. I like those stories. They make you. They make you think. Well, yes. she tells it well. Oh, she it's does. Easy to listen. Yes. Billy participated in conversation when we were off the air too. <laughs> That's right. So. That's True. right. Well, thank you again for a wonderful mm. story and for bringing us to date. Yes. We're listening to Alexandra Friends six sixty The Answer. Be sure and check alexandrafriends.com or go to our Facebook Alexandra Friends six sixty and like us, like our stories, so we can continue our stories. Have a good evening, Billy. Mm. Have a good night. Have a good evening, Michael. Good evening, and yes. Candy. Thank candy, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, soy José Guillén, dueño de All House Barbecue y patrocinamos el show de Alejandra y Friends. Nuestros dos lugares están en Carrollton y Louisville. Nuestra página web es allhousebarbecue.com. Vengan a vernos. You've been listening to Alexandra and Friends, the podcast. Reach out to us on Facebook at Alexandra and Friends or write us an email, alexandraandfriends660 at gmail.com. Be sure to mark us as one of your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode.